and a great day to you wherever and whenever you may be listening. My name is Jason Dyes, broadcasting and podcasting live from the studio of EloquentOnline.net in beautiful New Braunfels, Texas, Republic thereof. This is the Power Performance Podcast, the show that asks the question, if your brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more? The longest-running banking podcast in American history, and it just keeps getting better. And once a year, we set aside the talk about banking and instead talk about Veterans Day. This is Veterans Day week. It was on a Wednesday this particular calendar year, the year of our Lord 2020. So, ah, do you do the show before? Do we do the show after? It's Veterans Day all week for me this week. But before we get to our guest, who happens to be my dad, i got to say a quick thing about – talk about leave the audience wanting more. I specifically learned by reading the printed directions how to program my VCR back in the late 80s, early 90s, specifically to tape the show Jeopardy. We watched it when I was in the Army. I watched it when I was in college. I didn't miss it, and I still play it every day on my smart speaker here in the studio. I can't say it because she'll come on. Oh, that might be kind of cool. Alexa, play Jeopardy. This is Jeopardy. Anyway, uh, and it still has Alex Trebek's voice. When I heard about the death of Alex Trebek, you know, not every – I can't be sad about every celebrity that dies because they die every day, but I, I don't know any of them. But no, Jeopardy was special to me. Jeopardy was something that I really cared about. And 30 years ago this very year, I, I called the local news station, the station that they played Jeopardy on. I don't remember if it was CBS or NBC or what. And, and I said, how does somebody get on the show? And they're like, how do we know? But, you know, they actually helped me figure it out. And it was part written question, like a job application and then a phone test. And, you know, in those days, they knew you weren't checking your phone for the answers because there was no computer in my apartment back during the first Bush administration. And so I qualified to be on the show and was supposed to be on the show in January of 1991, but we had this little thing called Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, and so that never happened. No big deal. But anyway, speaking of Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm, the success of that operation is due in large part to what happened to the military during the Cold War, which is a weird term to people that served in Korea and Vietnam and other Cold War hotspots. But it occurred to me as I was working on the show this week that my dad and I, we didn't share the same branch of service. I was in the Army. My dad was in the Air Force. But we were part of that same post-World War II military that really kept the United States military going. There are some really dark years for the American military in the, the mid-late 1970s. But my dad and I were both part, and my brother, were part of that post-World War II Cold War military that um, everyone that served during that time period has reason to be very, very proud. And so I'm looking forward to talking to my, talking to my dad. My mom is there with them. It's not because my dad needs any help talking, but they do come as a set after all since, uh, since the Eisenhower administration. And so we're going to go right down I-35. It's only about 15 miles, but these days it seems like it takes about 15 years to get down there to my parents' home, right there on the fourth tee box over in Sunrise Canyon to talk to my, my mom and dad and we'll go to the break with a hit song from their generation 1960s chubby checker and the twist come on everybody do the twist not you dad not, i wouldn't advise it dad mom you could probably still do the twist and we'll be right back after this 
over 10 years, over 400 episodes, and one promise, conference quality information without the expense report. This is the Power Performance Podcast. Hey, Dad. How are you? I'm doing fine, Jay. How's it going with you? It is so good to have you on the show. In the pre-call, I was actually surprised. Uh, I guess nobody ever forgets the actual day they join the military. On what day and in what year did you join the United States Air Force? Clear as a bell, May 20th, 1960. Wow. So you were sworn in under Eisenhower, not Kennedy, correct? That's awesome. Now, from... From where you were living, you lived in New England in uh, Tiverton, Rhode Island, near the Massachusetts border with Fall River. When you made the decision to join the Air Force, had you considered other branches of the service? Uh, Not seriously. I I, uh, thought about the Army for a bit, but uh, ultimately went with the Air Force, which was my first choice all along. The Air Force is created... That, to put it in context, the U.S. Army and the Navy were both created in 1775. The Air Force is created in September of 1947. It was a comparatively new branch of the military. Was that what appealed to you about it? Uh, no, actually, what appealed to me about it was the was the flying. You know, as a kid, I mm. I was really into making model airplanes and such. So uh, that. That really was the appeal to me. My dad moved from Providence, Rhode Island. Now he's headed towards Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio by a combination of rail and bus and, you know, things like that. Imagine just leaving home with no technology, completely disconnected from the only home you've ever known. And when he got uh, close enough to Texas to take an airplane, I couldn't believe the plane he had to fly on. C-47. For those of you who keep in score at home, that is the C-47 Skytrain. Have you ever watched, you know, Band of Brothers or any of those old, you know, World War II movies where the paratroopers are jumping out of the airplanes? That is the airplane. I honestly didn't even know it was still in service uh, in 1960 when my dad joined the Air Force. But I wanted to ask him about landing in San Antonio. Let me say my keenest impression upon hitting the ground at Kelly Air Force Base, I, I was... Somehow, I was the first to depart the uh, aircraft at uh, at Kelly. Mm. Standing in front of a blast furnace. I mean, the temperature was 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 that great. Uh, ah, so no I, I I I thought I for sure I had arrived in in San Antonio, but for a second there, I thought I arrived at hell. You know, so yes, that, yes I, 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 I'm sorry, folks, I don't have the bleep button, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Since many of the people that listen to the show regularly aren't millennials, it's hard to imagine life without a phone. And I've always wondered what it's like for young people today that join the military. I'm sure they have to give up their phones for a certain period of time. But I asked my dad, does he remember, was he able to call my mom at all in 1960? She's not, they're not married yet, but my mom, uh, from Lackland Air Force Base at any time during basic training. Yeah, I, I, I think it was I think it was week three that we were allowed uh, some liberty, and and that was uh, to an area about uh, 25 feet from our barracks, and there was a, a payphone there, and I was allowed to make a, a five-minute call, uh, and that was after three weeks of basic training. Yeah. 
And did mom answer, or did she miss the call? Or did you call her? No, no, no. no. She, 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 she answered. No, I had, way to, I had, way to uh, go, mom. <laughs> After basic training, my dad graduates from Air Force recruit training in 1960, goes to Amarillo, Texas for technical training, and then against all odds for his first permanent duty station is sent back to New England and Western Massachusetts. Had you agreed with the recruiter that you would kind of be returning to New England, or was that just a luck of the draw kind of thing? No, that was a luck of the draw. There, there were no agreements wow. with the with – re- yeah, I, I had an honor <laughs> – yeah, I had a very honest recruiter. Every veteran listening to the show is saying, well, you were the only guy that had an honest recruiter. It was during that time, on on the 4th of July, by the way, in 1961, that my mom and dad got married. They're married to this very day. They'll be celebrating 60 years next year. So imagine this perfect, idyllic life in western Massachusetts, all the fun and love and romance of a newlywed couple. And then duty calls, and my dad is sent 8,000 miles away the Philippine Islands, and I asked my dad, did you have any concept of where that was in the world? No, no, not, not, when, I, not when I was staring the orders in the face, I didn't. Uh, I, I, had to, I had to look for it. It was a, what they called um, an, an isolated tour, which meant right. no, Can't take your no wife, travel, right. yeah, exactly, especially at my, at my then current uh, grade. At that current grade as an Air Force airman, my dad was making less than $300 a month, is about to be separated for 18 months from his new bride who was left behind in Massachusetts. And yet, letter after letter, my mother kept pestering him on. Mom would say, well, what, what would it take for me to come there? This is very key. A hardship tour means that you live on base, and, and that's it. You get paid your salary, uh, which, which, like I said, is less than $300 a month. Your food is provided for. Your clothing is provided for. That is all you get. If you want to live off base and fly your wife out to the Philippines, you've got to come up with that money on your own. And so I want to bring my mom in here and ask her because she did uh, end up joining my dad in the Philippines. Just for grins, I checked on Priceline this morning to see what a flight cost uh, from, you know, Massachusetts or Providence, Rhode Island to the Philippines. I think I picked Manila and it was about $2,400. I asked my mom, do you remember what it cost you in early 1960s dollars to fly halfway around the world? I do. It was 650 bucks. From Boston to Manila, and I had wow. to go to California. I had to go to the uh, embassy in San Francisco to get a visa. So it was wow. all pretty scary for this 21-year-old. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine my, my mom by herself. Again, no cell phone, no computers, no Siri, no nothing, finding her way from the airport in San Francisco to the U.S. Embassy. I didn't even know there was one in San Francisco as she heads out to the Philippine Islands. But even more crazy than that was how my mom decided to make that 8,000-mile journey. I was having dinner with some of my friends, and it was a, uh, I had a fortune cookie, a little Chinese fortune cookie, and my message was, your mind is restless. Only travel will satisfy. And I thought, Thank you, Lord. And so then I booked the flight. (laughs) Although both my mom and dad were certainly very glad to be reunited in the most unimaginable of places, the Philippine Islands, the, the war in Vietnam was starting to heat up. 
And one particular evening, my dad came face-to-face with the reality of what the military is all about, uh, where he had to support a aircraft uh, that was transporting the bodies of dead American servicemen. And it has always had a big impact on him. And I said, you know, even to this day, so many years later, I can tell when I talk to you about it that it impacts you in a very personal way, doesn't it? It 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 did. It's it still does. Um, encountered a darkened aircraft that was had it at its as its cargo as a low load of ramdown. Uh, yeah, it it was full of flag draped coffins. Uh, some of our troops going back to the states, yeah. and and that made a uh, a tremendous impact on me. One that I couldn't speak about for over fifty years, not even with your mom. As you heard my dad talk about the agreement allowing my mom to come join him in the Philippines meant they had to provide for their living expenses out of his salary. So instead of just accepting that reality, my mom went and got herself a good government job on base. Oh, I did. After two or three weeks, uh, I thought I just, you know, it was kind of scary and lonely. And so I did get out to civil service to the, uh, take a civil service test since I was trained as a Stenographer, so I had typing and shorthand mm-hmm. skills, and so I took the test there, and I got a, I got a GS4, which was pretty good for a woman in those days, and I started working uh, in a command center. This is a banking show, and I also do another banking show called Bank on Women, and we talk about you know pay inequality and all that kind of stuff. That's uh-huh. all, actually you made you made more money than Dad, didn't you? I made twice as much money as Dad. <laughs> And I, and I was and I was very happy about that. Yes, yes. I'm sure, I loved it. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure you were. Later in the interview, I hear my dad talk about three children in Laredo and one child in San Antonio. Uh, my parents, who are from Fall River, Massachusetts, end up in Laredo, Texas. Uh, my mother is having some challenges having babies, and so my parents adopt three children from different families outside their race before anybody put that on Facebook, before anybody talked about it on the Oprah Winfrey show. But upon leaving the Philippines for Laredo, Texas, we now find ourselves in the mid and late 60s. Vietnam is really heating up in terms of intensity and unfortunately in losses and casualties. And I told my mom that one of my earliest memories, here we are back still with the Air Force in Laredo, Texas now, one of my earliest memories was... Was you used to wear a bracelet of a POW, of, of an, uh, was it POW or MIA? Somebody that was missing or somebody that was uh, a POW? I, well, it was, it was either or. Either or. Yeah. His name was yeah. Captain James Reach, and I wore the bracelet and I didn't know him, only that he was either missing or a prisoner of war, and so I would pray for him, and I wore that for years. And in more recent years, on a trip to D.C., 
when we were visiting with Bruce and went to the Vietnam Memorial, I found his name on the wall. And that was just so, uh, oh, just so touching. touching. Yeah, yeah, like this person so I didn't he, so know when I prayed so for him. He was, he was still He back. had died. Yes, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was born in Austin, Texas, but my first home was in Laredo, Texas, where my dad was stationed at Laredo Air Force Base. And there he was at the literal beginning of what we refer to now as technology. He was into computers before anybody ever used that word in just common conversation. Uh, he was I still don't know what those computers did. I remember vague memories of computer cards and going to that room with the little you know tapes, reel to reel tapes going back and forth. I guess they were the backup tapes. But I was also, again, amazed at my dad's absolute total recall of the kind of mainframe computer he worked on. And so I asked him, I said, what does the word computer even mean in the late 1960s, early 1970s? Well, the computer was the Univac 1050-2, supply operations uh, in all implementations across the Air Force. My dad would ultimately make the decision to leave the uniformed enlisted ranks of the United States Air Force to work what was called at the time civil service, still working for the Air Force, but in a civilian capacity, and would end up spending over 30 years at Randolph Air Force Base. That's my home, you know, that part of Bexar County, Randolph Air Force Base, 30 years at working for the Air Force, working with the Air Force. And, you know, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful life during the editing of this show, I've heard the familiar roar of the T-38s out of Randolph Air Force Base fly over the studios of Eloquence Online here in New Braunfels, Texas, Republic thereof. And so to wrap up the show, I wanted to start with my mom. Uh, I don't think that she grew up in Fall River, Massachusetts, thinking one day she would be so closely and personally connected to the United States Air Force and the American military culture and tradition. And I asked her how she felt about that. Oh, I I loved it. I loved it. And I, I never felt like I needed to be back in New England. Everywhere we went became our home, our friends. Our friends became our family. So it's been a great life for us. And, and, and so many wonderful things happened to us and for us and through the military. So no regrets here. And finally, I asked my dad. I pointed out that the great military pedigree we have in our immediate family, my dad served in the Air Force. He worked for the Air Force for over 30 years. My brother uh, enlisted in the Air Force and served out an entire career over 20 years in the Air Force. I'm a U.S. Army and Desert Storm veteran. But I pointed out to my dad that great military pedigree began with him. Um, it did. Um, I, I, if I, if I were to do it all over again, uh, I don't believe that there's a thing I would change. You know, every, every turn, every, uh, uh, curve in the road, uh, brought something, uh, great. You know, Laredo brought us, uh, three children. Um, San Antonio brought us an additional child. Great memories. Uh, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. 
And for the first time, I get to use three words with uh, guests, and that is I love you, Mom and Dad. Happy Veterans Day, and thank you so much for joining us on the Power Performance Podcast. Thanks, Jay. We thank love you. you, too. Thank you. Our pleasure. Uh, all right. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, happy Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day week, everybody. If you never served, you'll never know. And if you did, you'll never forget. Three years before I enlisted at the age of 18 with the United States Army, Marvin Gaye sang the Star Spangled Banner, the national anthem, at the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. It was one of my favorites, and so great way to get out of here. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. Until next we speak. We'll talk to you all next week.